and welcome to In the Skies of Love, a podcast dedicated to the classic anime series Legend of the Galactic Heroes. My name is Kamel, and I invite you to accompany me as I make my way through the classic space opera for the first time. Joining us on our voyage are our guides Tom and Joel, two diehard fans. Together we'll be reviewing and analyzing each episode of Legends of the Galactic Heroes, exploring its complex characters, intricate political machinations, and breathtaking space battles. We'll delve into the themes, symbols, and historical references that make this series a timeless classic, sharing our thoughts and insights with you as we journey through the skies of love and war in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. So sit back, relax, and join us on this epic adventure. Okay, great. So today we're discussing episodes six and seven. So Tom, would you like to do the honors and give us the... uh, Synopsis. Episode six. Episode. Oh. Episode... <laughs> okay, hang on, hang on. That's the kind of energy we want to bring into the podcast as it opens. Just an <laughs> exhausted sigh. <laughs> You're only at episode six. So it's like two yeah. hours into the show. Yeah. Three or three hours. Anyway. <clears throat> episode six. The Knights of the Rose. Yang decides to take Isalon by a ruse. The Rosenritter, Knights of the Rose, a ground combat unit made of Imperial exiles, will pose as an Imperial crew and infiltrate the fortress. Yang's staff include... It always falls to me to do these lists of names, isn't it? Yang's staff is introduced. Murai Patrushev Fisher, a master of fleet maneuvers and Frederica Greenhill, daughter of Admiral Dwight Greenhill. The Isalon fleet is lured away from the fortress by decoys. When a damaged Imperial spaceship asks for help, the commander of Isalon, who doesn't know where his fleet is uh, due to radar jamming, authorizes it to dock. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Oh, that is where episode six ends, right? Yeah, it kind of like ends on a cliffhanger and i think it says like the story will continue i mean it does right through the credits they just mm. mistimed how much plot they wanted to do in the yeah, yeah. And then... this happens yeah. we can bring this up very yeah first like this happens a lot in the show there are a lot of episodes where they've clearly like written too much for the episode and so they just like let the show bleed into the credits um and it happens like more and more towards the end of the show as well, yeah, yeah where like eventually there's just no ending <laughs> it's just like yeah it's basically every episode just, yeah. Yeah. um uh so uh, what, is the show based on a manga originally i think so that yes. seems like but... the kind of information i thought it was based on a series of novels not mangas oh like, like light light novel i think it was of... light novels originally i guess my but question is it wasn't novels. originally scripted for this Format. No, no, yeah, yeah. This is an adaptation, yeah. yeah. Okay. It feels like that. It feels yeah. like it wasn't originally scripted because if I was writing this, I had this thought multiple times <laughs> watching these two episodes that if I were writing this, I would have structured it a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that I feel like doesn't... Uh, I feel like it was written a couple times to undercut the drama of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we can get to that. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when I thought that happened. But um, So... How, how does this episode uh, six open? I think Yan Wenli is in bed. Is that episode six oh, yeah. or is that episode seven? That's episode six. Yeah, I think we open with Yang Wenli being made. It reminds us that he's been made the commander of the 13th fleet. 
And then we open to him with his alarm going off at 10.30 in the morning, which is the correct time for an alarm to go off, just objectively. Uh, yeah, I wrote in my notes that um, him sleeping through that ceremony is like me almost sleeping through this recording that we're doing right now, which very nearly <laughs> happens. But you wrote that in your notes before you even got to recording. <laughs> sort of preempted how tired you would feel. Yeah. I, I really would have, if you, if it wasn't for your text this morning, I really would have sat through it. Um, uh, I see. Respect for the audience is, is really the, the core tenant and the core value uh, here of on, the show. in the skies of love here. Uh, which is also a core tenant that Yang Wen Lee shows when he shows up late for the ceremony and then gives <laughs> one of the best speeches in military history. Up there with Ulysses S. Grant, Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> Alexander the Great. Uh, what, what does he say in the speech? He's like, I feel like the. I don't wonder if we can get the transcript of it because it's so good. Oh yeah, maybe maybe we can give our best dramatic readings of the speech. We could do that, of course. He says it in Japanese, but that's Yang true. Wenli transcript. I think he opens it with something like, "I don't know how I would put this exactly." <laughs> yeah, he's like mumbling, yeah. uh, like trying to fill time. Uh, it's like a stand-up when you didn't do anything the previous day, and you're like, "Wow, let's you know. see, let's see, what about this? Yeah. What about this?" <laughs> um, yeah, he he kind of like stalls for time, and then he's like, "We we will all die if we fail, or like um, we don't we shouldn't want to give our lives for the for the fatherland or something like this." Um, and then it, it's really beautiful. It's inspiring. Um, he talks about living for good tea, right? Yeah. He's like, we can only drink good tea while we're alive. So let's keep living. Yeah, let's that's try right. not to die. <laughs> yeah, let's try not to die. <laughs> what a master of, of, the, of the written and spoken word. Well, you say that, but then everyone cheers and claps. Yeah. Like, they get it. Yeah. Well, to be honest, if you were about to join a ragtag fleet that everyone expected to go on a suicide mission, and then your commander turned up, and he was like, I intend to not get everyone killed. That's exactly what you'd want to hear, you know? Rather than someone shouting about the, the fatherland and uh, yeah, exactly. being very yeah, kind of suicidal about it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, do, I personally do not like the phrase fatherland. No? There's something um, uh, <laughs> I associate with like Nazi history. Like it feels like something there's, they said. To, like, you're saying there's something that. fascistic about referring to your, your nation fascistic. as a person? As a, as a nurturing influence in your life? Yeah, I guess so. But fatherland, even more so than motherland. Like if I had motherland, yeah. it wouldn't trigger that for me as much. But actually, this is a fun fact, which is that German is one of the only languages that says fatherland, whereas like almost every other language uses motherland. So like Russia uses mother Russia. Oh. England, you'd use motherland. But Germany is the only one that, well, there's a few, but Germany is one of the only famous ones that use Vaterland, which is fatherland. You know how some people can be Francophile? Hmm. Big fans, uh, big fans of France or Japanophiles, big fans of Japan. Is there a mm. word for being big fans of Germany or like German culture? There is. Um, so if you're talking, I think this is a term that really refers to like people who are into World War II Germany. Um, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> not going to use that word. <laughs> but like uh, wearaboos is the, is the term that people throw around online. As in, like referring to the Wehrmacht, like V W E H R, uh, which is basically like the land army. So people use it as a joke on weeaboo. It's like wearaboo, right. wearaboo. 
Um, but there must be an official, like, sort of dictionary. But, but I think that that is the accepted term online. Like, if you say someone is a verbo, then that's understood. Do you think the author of this show, the the, the writer, would would uh, consider himself one? I don't know. I mean, even like, um, I mean, again, I think as a Japanese writer, your under the understanding of like European history or the trauma and pain associated with World War One, World War Two, is really different, right? Because um, like um, Miyazaki uses a lot of like um, Nazi Germany, you know, Nazi, Nazi German in- imagery and all this kind of stuff, and just kind of throws it in uh, to his work without like a huge amount of context or all this kind of thing. So I think that's sort of a different cultural understanding of, of these things. It's kind Germanophile. of like Germanophile. That makes sense. Or Teutonophile or Teutophile. Teutonophile definitely sounds more fascist. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. The love of the German way. Teutonophilia. <laughs> the German way. That's what the Wikipedia says. It, it puts <laughs> German way in italics as well. <laughs> okay, so let's get back on track. Yeah. Do you think that um, the bad, bad, maybe or good speech that he gives here is a, or like the the the, the awkwardness or is a, is intentional from Yang Wenli? I think afterwards he kind of talks to Kazel Mew and he gives off the impression that oh it was all a mistake and I was kind of flustered, but I wonder what whether you feel like he's been even more kind of intentional about deliberately giving a poor speech it's a good question my reason is that there's like a kind of look that uh, is it true height gives him um he you know he's expecting yan wenli to come in and and play the part to like toe the line and give a speech to rouse the troops before they go off to the battle that Trunheit has planned for them to so basically all get killed in so he can get mm. rid of Yang Wenli. And Yang Wenli goes in and he's like, oh, uh, what do I say? Um, f- for the for the fatherland? No, hang on, that's not right. And he just mumbles his way through this first bit and really like, I feel undermines the common type of speech that Trunheit gives um, mm-hmm. and then says, let's not die. And then just sits down and that's it. And mm-hmm. uh, I wonder whether it's a, it's a slight political kind of... I, I, I'm not going to be used by this man um, to deliver these kind of speeches for him. Or whether it just is, yeah, just uh, him being awkward and bad at speeches. Mm-hmm. It uh, it felt earnest to me. It felt like him just being his true self. And I think yeah. it's doubly, uh, you know, that point is made again when in the, the next episode, I think, or maybe later in this episode, he has a, a talk with the, We'll get to it, but the talk of the leader of the Rose Ritter or whatever, the Rose Knights of the Ritter. Rose, mm. and he, I, I, I was, I, I was the most fond of Yang Wenli in that scene that I've been in the whole series because he's just completely mm. plain spoken. He has no like, I feel like there's no, there's no game theory in how he's talking with these mm-hmm. people. He's just like, well, this is what I think should happen. Um, I think this is the best approach, and if it fucks up, well, I'm fucked, but. This is what I think will work. Um, yeah. And there's no. So I think that same approach applies to his speech there. He's just. Mm-hmm. A, as opposed to everyone else in the show, he speaks plainly. I agree. I think um, 
going back to what we're talking about with Yang Wenli being this sort of Taoist archetype, like in the previous episode, like I think this thing of him accidentally stumbling into political genius and all of his uh, people, all the people around him, like uh, questioning whether or not it's intentional or whether it's earnest. Um, to me, yeah, it's definitely earnest, as Kamel says. But it's like his gift is uh, creating this air of confusion around himself without wanting to or trying to, where it's sort of like he seems to so effortlessly um, navigate every situation that he's thrown into. Um, yeah. After the ceremony, he goes to have tea or lunch, right? At the mm. at the super futuristic yeah. citadel from Mass Effect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is what it is. It does look like that. <laughs> which is in complete, like, uh, juxtaposed to his house that he wakes up in. Mm. Which just looks yeah. like a farmhouse in Nebraska or something like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I don't know if that's a commentary on, like, where all the money in the country, in the, in the Federation goes to. Mm -hmm. but um yeah very strange and then they introduce uh the leader of the rose ritter right walter rose and ritter, yeah walter wow okay which they introduce yeah. him in a in a classic example of save the cat have you heard of this save the cat mm. like as a trope where he's like steps in and rescues like a uh, something defenseless or someone defenseless so that we as the audience immediately root for him without needing to actually earn yeah. it yeah, yeah. You, you know he's a good guy straight away yeah yeah i wonder if that i want so this isn't this is 1989 that they wrote mm -hmm. this show i wonder if save the cat was a term used then because mm -hmm. i know the book came out after that where people learned that where that term got popularized ah, where the name, i wonder if that was, yeah yeah, yeah. I'm sure it must have existed beforehand. Yeah, it just seems so like blatant. It, it felt mm -hmm. like <laughs> one thing I felt throughout these episodes was a lot of a lack of subtlety. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, this was a clear example of that. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's sort of so blatant that later on Yang Wedley basically explains it as well. He says, because you did that, that's why I trust you. Just yeah, like yeah. the audience yeah. now likes you. I like you <laughs> because you did that. Yeah. I was there. I was the audience for that scene. We're just sitting around the table and Yang Wenli's like, I have the TV tropes page here for Save the Cat. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that you did that like when we were back in the Mass Effect Citadel. Do you remember? <laughs> Man, Yang Wenli, all he does is sleep, drink coffee and read TV tropes. He really be me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's me. He's me for real. Who <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, did if right. You, yeah, if you, if you threw us into a... I mean, if if we didn't live in such a time of peace, I mean, we we got lucky in that sense. Then um, we'd probably display the same kind of military genius as Jiang Wenli does. I mean, you'd hope so. Hmm. Yeah, you guys regularly play strategy games, right? So it's probably the same level of um, like expertise that's going through Yang Wenli's head and yours. Because as soon as he sees the Rose Ritter guys, uh, mm -hmm. and and he hears that they were ex Imperials, me and him had the same idea, which was, oh, they're going to do yeah. a Trojan horse. Yes. Yeah. 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 Just instantly, I knew that was the plan. Yeah. He also, the Rose Ritter guy, uh, what's his name? Walter, uh, he throws coffee in that dude's face. Yeah, he does. I thought yeah. that, that actually was pretty good. Yeah, I thought, <laughs> I didn't expect him to go so far. Um, and he's so, like, casual when he does it as well. Like, he's 
it's partly the animation <laughs> budget, I guess, but his body is just completely still when he throws it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just his arm that moves. Like he, just, <laughs> he doesn't budge. And he just throws coffee at, at this guy's face. Um, it's beautiful. I did think when he showed up on the screen and he's got this sort of like, uh, he's tall, he's got that like big like quaff of like 80s hair mm. and um, he's like a rogue with a heart of gold kind of, that's, yeah. that's what I felt from his character. A big Harrison Ford in Star Wars energy, I felt, yeah. mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was, I think, proven by the next episode when they do their little Death Star invasion. Yes, um, so I, yeah. I have Star Wars references written in my notes because yeah. there's a lot of Star Wars yeah, in the next yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so he's the leader of the Rose Ritter, which mm-hmm. are the Knights of the Rose, a close combat yeah. unit of children of Imperial exiles. Yes. Mm-hmm. I quite liked the world building there because although they don't really, I don't know if they go into it later, but the implication is that. Like, the Alliance doesn't really trust any of these people, even though they're like second generation, you know, um, kids from like families that have left the empire. There's still this like mistrust of them. And when they want to join the military, they're basically forced into this one unit. Um, and this unit has like a reputation for being, uh, you know, rowdy and tough and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, so yeah, the members of it seem sort of forced into this archetype, um, as a result of their birth. Uh, which again kind of underlines what we were saying before about the alliance not being quite so um, so great all the time. Uh, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Um, but I think as far as introductions to characters go, Walter von Schenkop could have got a way worse introdu- introduction. He is, yeah, this is like another member of the central cast now that we've been introduced to. Um, how how do you find his character introduction compares to the next character introduction, which happens right after, which is um, uh, Yang Wen Li is getting like a voicemail saying, "Hey, you've got that new intelligence officer coming up for you, uh, yeah. you know, good old Freddy," and he's like, "Can't yeah. wait to meet him." And yeah. then a yeah. woman walks in and he's like, "Go go 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 girl!" Oh, he did this on purpose, tricking me. Um, the disinterest <laughs> in female characters from the writer is is palpable in these scenes. It is like she comes in, they make a joke about the fact, oh, I didn't expect you to be a woman, and then we just move on, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, and obviously she's like obsessed with Yang, and she's like been fangirling over him for the last ten years or whatever. Uh, yeah, and like yeah, all this kind of stuff, and it's just very. Um, yikes! Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Time moves quickly through these two episodes, right? Because then they immediately yeah. depart uh, for their suicide mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the crew that he's working with, the the guy who's you know he's given um, fleet operations to and stuff, they're discussing how they'll get there, how long it will take, two weeks, mm-hmm. and they show a map up on the screen. Yeah. Um. Of I guess their route, which is so nonsensical, so unclear as to what that means, that it felt I was having flashbacks to architecture school when mm-hmm. students would show their research, uh, including me, and it would be mappings of the environment that is like, you know, deeply layered with so much information. It's like it's fucking nonsense. It's like unreadable. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, I really love that map. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> You've printed it out. It's pinned to your bedside. Uh... 
I mean, it's just it's like crisscrossing real. lines and like yeah. different markers, and there's no axes and. It's a slight sidetrack. I mean, it's related, but like a lot of animes have these like uh, nonsense computer UIs in them. You know, like just in the background or even in the foreground sometimes. Yeah. Just to fill space or to fill time. And I love them. Like, I love them so much. Like, especially in the 90s when they just had these bizarre computer interfaces where you're not really supposed to understand anything that's going on. The English is really bad because they usually have like English text and it's been like half translated. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there's something about that vibe that I really love and I miss when I watch like newer shows. Um, so yeah, I really love all the UI stuff from uh, Legend of Galactic Heroes. It's like, yeah, feels feels earnest in a weird way. I feel like there's been a movement. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I, I feel like it. I think there was, there has been a movement, and many other people have written about it about um, this move towards having everything needs to be explained um, in in more modern shows and things. Like mm-hmm. uh, it's the same in video games. I think like things we moved away from, at least in Western media, maybe of. Uh, just being able to throw stuff in the background like that or, mm-hmm. or throw something in like the cephal particles and not really explain mm-hmm. them that much. Just use them as a plot device to kind of get you from one place to another. Right. Um, yeah. I feel like a lot of a lot of more modern shows really focus on having to explain everything for everything to to, to make sense so that the audience doesn't question it rather than... Mm-hmm. I can't remember I who said maybe it. Maybe it's kind of related to what you're saying. There's like a quote, I can't remember who said it, like, law is the death of world building, like L-O-R-E rather than L-A-W. That like the more sort of encyclopedic knowledge you pack into your setting um, for the audience, for the sake of the audience, uh, the less interesting the world becomes. Um, And I think, yeah, yeah, it's kind of related to what you're saying. How much of that Mm -hmm. do you think is because of the sort of YouTube culture of like, um, Mm. you know, cinema fails and stuff or whatever the channel is called? Yeah, where like yeah. this shit doesn't make sense. This is stupid, and therefore the movie's bad because um, <laughs> yeah. they never explain how this, you know, particular mechanism or whatever works. Um, th- and it's I- all just like finding loopholes and stuff. I think that is probably part of a broader like cultural change, which is when you engage with a piece of media like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. Like Lord of the Rings is probably like where it really transitioned because there was this like rich world building underneath those films. And because it was like, it came along with the rise of the internet or like the rise of um, the internet becoming very, very popular. People would discuss all these law things like at length on the internet. So it wasn't just engaging with the piece of media anymore. Now you're engaging with like this wider context. So like now if you go on YouTube and you look at like, you know, law for any video game, it doesn't matter what the video game is. It's like you, you have like a six hour video on the law of Tetris, you know? And so there's an encouragement by creators to put these things in or to put these secrets in, which I don't think is inherently like a bad thing. Um, but yeah, it's a different way of engaging with media. Whereas like for Star Wars, I don't think that existed back in the 70s. Or this kind of no, but I think they did put it into like episodes one, two, and three. And I think this yeah. is yeah. a large part of why those movies fail because they tried so <laughs> hard to put in tax law into the Star Wars universe and they really didn't need to do that. No. Yeah. Careful, we're going to lose our Zuma audience if we shit talk the the prequels. No, <laughs> uh, yeah. If you sign up for the Patreon, you um, you you get the Star Wars content. I will absolutely watch all three prequels if people sign up for the Patreon. Like we can do a, we can do a deep dive on the prequels. Yeah, I would do that. Yeah, I, I recently rewatched. <laughs> I recently rewatched um, A New Hope, 
Mm-hmm. And there's so many like offhand sentences that George Lucas just clearly just like wrote off of nothing. <laughs> that yeah. became entire like series of films and TV shows based <laughs> off a sentence. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, a, a a crew died trying to get the plans for the Death Star. Oh, great, that's Rogue One and Andor and everything. Um, yeah. I knew I knew your dad in the Clone Wars. Wow, that's mm-hmm. ten years of Star Wars stuff. <laughs> it's just yeah. insane that you could just write a sentence like that, not think about it at all. And then it becomes, I don't know, a billion dollars. I mean, if you look, if you, oh, we're going off topic, but if you watch those videos of George Lucas's script writing process, he really wasn't thinking about it most of the time. He just, he just throws this stuff in. And I, yeah, I got mad respect made for that, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wish you could be that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he famously retired after he finished those three movies. Um, and, yeah. And, and, that was, and, and that was fine. Yeah. <laughs> he's doing a I think he's, he's in a podcast <laughs> business like us, isn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Competition. No, I mean, mm. I think that shows that you don't watch the talk show because they famously say they are not a podcast. Uh, Repeatedly. They they, uh, they get told they're a podcast. Uh, I think they... I think they uh, we shouldn't talk about this. This is another show. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about yeah. George Lucas's podcast. You, you seem to be talking about some sort of TV show that may or may not have George Lucas in it. Uh, um, Let's uh, get back I, on topic. Yeah, where were we? We were talking about... Uh, we were on Shenkop, a spaceship. Mm. Shankop, um, uh, Green Hill. Uh, for the architectural region. maps of the... Architectural maps. Yes, and then they're they're heading on. Uh, it'll take them two weeks to reach the fortress. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he, does does well, FTL exist in the show? Have I asked you this before? Going straight off the back of our law doesn't matter conversation. Uh, <laughs> 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 I think so. Like I think we talked about it in episode one of the podcast. Like I think the implication is that it exists, and there's one episode that's coming up where they explicitly reference FTL travel. Okay, and then we'll talk we can, we we'll can talk, yeah, we can put it yeah, in. We'll talk about it when it comes up. It's weird though, right? That like, there's no like Star Trek make it so, you know, like jump to warp speed at any point in the story. Mm. Um, it doesn't happen um, apart from this one episode, which we'll we'll talk about when it comes up. But um, yeah, they feel like naval fleets, like saying yeah. it'll take us a couple of weeks or a month to reach wherever we're going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we talked about as well, like they seem to jump between stars, like they can only jump from one star system to another. Right. And there's like a maximum range on that. Yeah. Um, at some point they have we these, can do it. These maps. Yeah. Yeah. We can do a physics deep dive into the different systems they might be using there at some point, mm, okay. <laughs> maybe for the Patreon. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes. Yeah. And they're talking, so they're, they're, they're traveling slowly and Yang is talking, like They're having a strategy meeting right now, right? Strategy meeting, yeah. And they're asking, don't you think Shenkop is going to betray you? Because like all of his predecessors, and he's a he's a fucking imperial, or his dad was, right? Can't trust him. Yeah. And and Yang's like, yeah, whatever. If he betrays me, he betrays me. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, Walter says, <laughs> what do you do if I if I am the traitor? And he's like, be yeah. embarrassed. He's like, I'll be in a fix. And he'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll be in a fix, yeah, yeah, you will. He's like, yes, I will. Yeah. Um, Did your, like, your subtitle said in a fix, be in a fix? Yeah. In, in a fix. fix. Yeah. Yeah. Mine, mine said be embarrassed. Mm. Uh, okay. Okay. I guess they're yeah, not unrelated. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I feel like this, 
Yeah, you see the respect that Shenkop has already for Yang on his face. And I kind of interpreted this scene as like Shenkop is, because he's like a gun for hire with no, he doesn't, doesn't trust any of his uh, superiors and he's part of this unit that's famous for, um, uh, round, you know, for, for running away or for being turncoat. Mm-hmm. I kind of interpreted it, I don't know if people agree, I interpreted it as like, he's kind of on the fence, right? Like if the price was right, Maybe he would like leave the alliance, or maybe he would, um, you know, betray a superior. Um, but this conversation with Yang uh, seems to solidify his trust in this uh, new commander that he has. I think I understood that the trust was solidified by that conversation, mm. but I don't think I understood that without that conversation, he would have, mm. you know, turned tail and ran. Um, I think because. They sold so hard on saving the cat. That's true. Yeah, that I was, I was like, he's never gonna betray because he's Mm -hmm. a good guy. Mm -hmm. Like you know, regardless of if he like talks back or whatever, or like it's his Mm -hmm. boss, he'll ultimately do the right thing. Uh, So maybe they shouldn't have done that scene or changed how they structured (laughs) it because there was never any question in my mind that he wouldn't, you know, betray or would. Yeah, I wasn't really, yeah, convinced that he would ever betray or not or not i i see it more as like he is a test of yang wenli like he's heard these things about him he doesn't believe it he's, he's very cynical <laughs> and he is also uh, just naturally challenges authority that that's what this group the rosen yeah. always seem to do they know they're outcasts um and the only way they can kind of survive as a team is to play up to that so they're mm-hmm. ag- super aggressive um they take things very you know they're they're expertise extremely seriously so they can live up to that reputation and um they will just be troublemakers if they don't respect who they're working for mm-hmm. um and this scene yeah like, like you say solidifies this this respect um and again like it's sort of related to what i was saying earlier about what do you feel yang wenli's motivation was in this speech do you think he's just being completely honest and i think he is being honest when he gives his speech mm-hmm. but do you also think it's he knows what he's doing when he delivers his speech in this way the same in this meeting like he acts in a way that's like very unexpected i think like he talks so plainly he just he says what happens if Fyankov betrays you he'll be like well then i'm in a fix or i'll, I'll be embarrassed mm-hmm. or are you really going to trust this man he's like yes or I want to retire after this battle is finished. Um, and he's so... I almost get the impression that he knows what he's dealing with with Shenkov. He already has understood something of this man's character. And he mm-hmm. knows that he has to uh, talk to him in this way to gain his respect almost. Mm-hmm. Um I do agree with and that. It's not that, it's not that yeah. he's not being honest. It's that he also knows what he's doing when he's being honest to him somehow. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, yeah. I mean, I, I do think that he knows that he has to talk to Shenkop in this way. But I also think he's being genuine. I guess it's the same thing of like not... Like, I don't think he's being Machiavellian or manipulative at all uh, mm-hmm. in these scenes. Um Oh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously he's not because he does believe in Shenkop and yeah. he and he like places all of his chips on this one plan 
which Shenkop could easily screw up. And obviously he does want to retire. He's not being mm-hmm. uh, being um, uh, untruthful there. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I think, like, as I say, I think his character is written in such a way where nobody can quite ever pin down whether or not he is being Machiavellian in the show. Um, and the audience is also stuck in that position. But we are privy to his, like, private conversations with yeah, yeah. Julian or with other characters where we see that this is actually uh, the way that Yang Wenli is. He is honest and straightforward. And It's interesting to me that um, I, I sort of uh, disagree in the sense that I think he's being genuine and, you know, straight talking in, in that meeting without any sort of artifice or processing that mm-hmm. this is the way I need to talk to get him on my side or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your read is also completely valid, but I think more interesting is that our disagreement is the same disagreement that the characters in the show have in regards to Daniel <laughs> Lee, that they yeah. can't also agree. Is he, is he like a, you know, double talking boy genius or is he just like, mm-hmm. you know, a straight talking genuine person? And yeah. We have that same disagreement despite knowing his internal yeah you know thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. i do agree with you that he is basically just talking from the hip um but i i do agree with tom that like there's maybe some pre-processing that has gone on like where he thinks like shenkop's not the kind of person who will value dishonesty so i can just go into the situation like openly um, yeah yeah i guess that's what i mean like he knows yeah. going in that talking from the hip is is the right strategy for this meeting or the only way to do yeah. it um it kind of falls in line with how he wants it to be anyway um yeah. it's interesting mm. we can keep this discussion in mind as we go forward so i think there's a few episodes as well where yang is put on the spot yeah and... this moment it's not really a conflict but i, I wonder if yeah. later on there's there's moments where it's yeah there's actually yeah, we'll talk about it when it comes up, but there's a really good episode coming up where I think it will probably answer our question once and for all, but I can't remember exactly like how, how it plays out. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they end that strategy meeting with him discussing his retirement plans. He, wanted, he wants yes. to retire by 30, which, I mean, he be yeah. me for real. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then he does say this. I don't know if it, it's written the same way in your sub, but he just says, um, he ends it by saying, there is a 14-year-old boy living in my house and I don't want him to join the middle, you know, be part of the same process yeah. of war. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yeah. that is not the way you want to phrase that sentence. I think. No, yeah. I had completely forgotten that Julian is 14 in this first season. Like, um, because the show takes place over such a long period of time, it mm-hmm. like really threw me for a spin when he's like, he's 14. You're like, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, yeah, we talked about this when he first appeared. I think last episode of the show, we, yeah. we, we, I think we asked, like, "What did you think? What did you make of this guy, this this boy yeah. who's just living in his house and it's just completely unexplained?" And we didn't, you don't get much of an answer in that episode, and then it's ignored, and then you get to this episode, and yeah, he just says this line like, "There's a boy who lives in my house, yeah. and I hope he has a good future," and then just cuts again, and you're like, "But." Oh, we still don't have been... any answers. Why well, is he living in your house? Yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we will get an explanation, but um, it is I kind of hope they don't it explain it. Yeah. I kind of yeah. hope they don't. Um, <laughs> the, the meeting ends with Walter, uh, like, sort of, I don't know. He's, he's, he asks Yang Wen Li if he's like Rudolph the Great as, as like uh, a. Yeah. 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 
Now, is that something I should know because it's a famous person from history, or is that a person in the show? I don't know. No, so, so he, he, it's a person in the show, but he's basically accusing him of being a sophist, which is the same conversation that we're talking about here. Like, okay. are you being earnest and truthful? Do you have a genuine position? Or are you just taking whatever position benefits you most? Um, is that what sophistry is, like sweet talking? Yeah, sophistry is. Well, sophistry is like you're willing to take any side of the argument. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, like at modern debate teams, uh, this is like sophistry, right? Like, it, And um, if you look at like the history of classical philosophy, I'm massively oversimplifying because I'm not really that well studied in it. But there's kind of two strains in Greek thinking uh, where one group are considered sophists, where they're willing to take any position. And then another group is like, they actually have these firm, they believe that such a thing as truth and that you should stand by the truth and all this kind of stuff. Um, and you can see these uh, traditions like all the way through to the present day in Western philosophy. And um, yeah. So, and speaking of classical references, I also thought that Yang's um, plan to retire is basically like a reference mm. to Cincinnatus, which is like, in if you're like a, a democratic <laughs> democratic chauvinist Cincinnatus is like one of your is one of the big names right because he's someone who was um emperor or was um uh dictator dictator for a short period of time during the roman uh senate like period when it was democratic when they does they would like appoint a dictator during times of military trouble mm-hmm. um and then you were expected to step down after you've served your term as dictator you're supposed to step down and return democracy like back to people. Um, and obviously this goes quite wrong like later on uh, in the Republic's history. But Cincinnatus like took this position as dictator and then retires basically at the peak of his glory. Like when he's like the most popular person in Rome, he could have just taken Rome and become king, but instead he retires and goes and lives on his little farmstead um, in the middle of uh, Italy. Um, so... Yeah, and like the the city Cincinnati, fun fact, is named after Cincinnatus because the founders, like the founding fathers of America, were so enamored by this like story. Just like I say, it's like a key thing in like democratic uh, tradition. Did he retire at a young age? I don't think so. I think he was actually pretty old. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but actually, like later on, I can't remember the details, but I think like they try and get him to come back as dictator, and I actually can't remember whether he does it or not. Uh, but like they like turn up to his house like when he's like farming and they like ask him to come back and rule the empire uh, rule the senate again uh, is like, it even yeah. even the dictatorship at that time in history or is it just he is the head uh, of the senate or no so it is the position is called dictator dictator which like mm. uh then we use now to mean like an absolute ruler but it was like mm. a specific uh role in the senate like um a person became dictator and then Julius Caesar appoints himself dictator for life, which is where we get like the modern term. But yeah, it basically just means speaker, right? Like to dictate. Yeah. So you are speaker for the Senate, basically. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Was, uh, I think they, I think it wasn't just <clears throat> this particular ruler as well. Like it was a, for a time an expectation in ancient Rome that this was the right way to lead, to, to do your terms and then step down, go back yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Right. The first time, um, the first time I heard about that as an idea mm-hmm. was because um, uh, Two Face in the Dark Knight mentions it to Bruce Wayne. 
<laughs> anyway, just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> Um, after the strategy meeting, um, it cuts to um, Yang Wenli asleep at, at, in his chair, like in his command chair or whatever. And yep. He gets woken up mm-hmm. by his um, his um, fangirl assistant, mm-hmm. uh, Frederica, I think is her name. Frederica, yeah. Yep. Um, and she offers him like a tea or a coffee or something, and she's like, don't worry, it's got brandy in it. Yeah. Um, because that's <laughs> he's drinking on the job. Yeah. yeah, don't worry, you won't have to do this job sober. He's me, he's me for real. <laughs> um, and then they cut to a flashback of of why she became such a fangirl of his, right? Mm-hmm. And it's during the um, evacuation of a planet uh, y- years ago mm-hmm. when she was 14. He's hanging around a lot of 14-year-olds, I would say, so far. Two of them at different points. So I don't know about yeah. that. Um, uh, I thought the flashback was sort of strange. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's a different art team, right? It's a different animation studio doing that flashback. It looked different. It's possible. Yeah. It looks like the yeah. animation studio who does the next episode. Mm, uh, that's right. That, that's definitely know. different. I was going to comment on this. Yeah, the, the the animation does look different in the next episode. Yeah. Hmm. Like even the colors are strange. All the all the skin is like more saturated, yeah. pinker, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um. Mm. But yeah, so during that flashback of the planetary evacuation, millions of people. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 like scored and shot as if it's like a rom com, with mm-hmm. her like yeah. serving coffee to him and him choking on it and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> this is like to avoid a genocide, right, on this planet? And yeah, it's strange. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. will get to find out more about that whole episode in Yang's life, I think, in future episodes. Um, yeah. yeah, in general, the kind of romance. Um, sections of the show are, are like this, just sh- sort of shoehorned in and um, yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty weak. Um, yeah. The romances between male and female characters, anyway. Um, we can talk yeah. more about oh. the male male romances um, at length. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we will. And yeah. I'm sure we will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's almost like the writer was like, oh shit, yeah, most of my readers are probably into girls. I should throw in some scenes here. Um, ah, there's a planetary evacuation going on, millions of people dying. But then he chokes on the coffee. It's funny. It's cute. <laughs> he doesn't even like coffee. Uh, there he we doesn't go. like coffee. Oh, mm. That Yang. I, I don't think there's anything after that before they start their attack, right? Uh, we have hmm. some some cuts of the, like, the... Well, it depends what you mean. Um of what's going on on the alliance ships, I guess the the this conflict between the two uh, generals, the whoever they are. Uh, yeah, sorry, the empires uh, on the on the actual fortress or mm-hmm. on the fortress and on the base that's near the fortress. I I, I was a bit unclear of the um, geography of where these the two bases, guys were. The base is inside the. There's like a liquid shell. We can talk about how cool Isalon fortresses maybe, but like. There's like a liquid shell, and then the fleet base is inside the shell. And that's where one of them is. Yeah, this is maybe why it's confusing. But then he leaves with the fleet, so then he's on his ship. Yes. Yeah. And he has one of the characters we've seen before advising him, right? We, we, he has mm-hmm. Oberstein advising him 
Um, this might be the next episode. I kind of these kind of bleed together in my mind because it's just all one big battle at this point. Uh, but yeah, he has this guy advising him, saying, basically making all the calls, like understand exactly what's going on. Say we should advance here, we shouldn't advance here, or like this is a trap, this is a trick, and he's just mm-hmm. not being listened to. Um, we should probably also rewind and mention, like, I think the episode even opens, like, episode six even opens with, like, the two generals, like, it establishes that they fucking hate each other. Like, yeah. they call each other names, and they, like, try and one-up each other all the time, which yeah. basically forms, like, the foundation of Yang's plan, right? Yeah. Is that they just can't agree on anything, so. Um, I It seemed to me that, um, so, so the two generals, one, one handles, they're like that meme, he protect, he attack. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of them does yeah. one, one does the other, yeah. and they give you a sense of that because they hate each other and they're competitive. Uh, it seems like uh, towards the end of the episode, when the 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 alliance shows up, and then the the he attack general, I don't know his name, so I'm gonna refer to him as that. <laughs> I don't remember either. Yeah, um, he's like, uh, I fucking hate these guys. I'm gonna take every ship and go and get them. Um, it seems like that's deliberate on Yang Wenli's part. And yeah, it's like yeah. he's exploiting his psychology, but it wasn't clear to me that Yang Wenli knew that these guys were like this, because the 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 opening intro that explains the two ad, uh, admirals who run the fortress mm-hmm. is given to us as information, the audience, but it's yes. not yeah. it's not given to Yang Wenli. We don't see him get that and be like, huh, I wonder if hmm. So what you're saying is we need a prequel movie about <laughs> a team of ragtag uh, scoundrels. Who uh-huh. managed to infiltrate Islam Fortress and find this information out that would be necessary to destroy it? Yeah, or just like a thirty-second scene with a report. Ah, uh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, I like the prequel idea, um, <laughs> and I think it would be really good if maybe some of the characters were related to future characters. Like maybe maybe it's Shenkop's dad. I don't know, his uncle or something would be good. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's gonna. Yeah. He he's like, but maybe he's like the weakest. You know, the like the. The runt of the oh, yeah. of this rag. I like that. That's and, funny. That's yeah, funny. Yeah. yeah. It's like poetry. It's like the, the inverse. Uh, it's like a couplet. Yeah. I think we need a soundboard so I can hit the like cha-ching sounds when we come up with great <laughs> ideas. I mean, just be going off in the background all the time. It would be like a you know, be constant. You wouldn't be able to hear us. Like. <laughs> I want the cha-ching sounds. I want the um, Seinfeld baseline. Uh, every time we do a great joke. Um, I sometimes I think there's information that's delivered by the narrator that could just as easily be delivered to Yang Wenli in the form of like, you know, intelligence report. Mm-hmm. And then he gets the information and we get the information. Yes. You're probably yeah. right. I think mm-hmm. yeah. I I think uh that might be more efficient and give us more time with Yang rather than with this narrator. Yeah. I wonder if he does know or whether he's supposed to know. Um I mean, it does form like, yeah, it seems like it forms the basis of his plan. But I wonder if this would have been the plan regardless of what these generals mm. were, were like. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the plan doesn't work if all the ships aren't out of the fortress, right? Because then that entire mm-hmm. crew is there and then they get overwhelmed. So instead of, if if we see Yang Wenli get the information, we can see him, you know, get that and then work through the process and we see him think it out. Even yeah. if it's just a scene of him thinking, we don't hear his thought process. But because we don't see that, it just seems like divine providence or he's like, you know, he's he's a, a Kira from Death Note just working on a, you know, beyond level where we can't even see his thought process and he just gets it. 
I think you're right. I think the episode would have been more coherent with that scene. Um, maybe it's because it's split across from her, but the show doesn't have this problem later. No, I think you're right. That's sort of where the episode ends, right? It goes into the credits with them heading into this confrontation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. I think the Rosen Ritters get, they, they, the doors get open for them and they manage to get on. And that's the, yeah, the final of the episode of them like getting onto the ship yes into into the fortress sorry uh in their imperial costumes and i love the yes. fact that they added the additional detail of that because he's in disguise he was wearing a fake mustache yeah. he was wearing a fake mustache but then in the next episode he takes off a rubber mask yeah. so the fake mustache is part of the mask like oh my god I, that that really I was... threw me for a spin because yeah. it just looks like shake like his face in a mustache <laughs> And then he just pulls this like Scooby Doo mask off. <laughs> I must have missed that because I thought the face was different because it was a different animation studio and they just didn't quite. Yeah, know I mean, how that, to draw him. that doesn't that doesn't help. Yeah, it's like yeah. he looks a bit different, but I guess the animation's different. And then he just pulls off his whole face. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, that's the end of episode six. Can I give you my thoughts on how I would have rewritten it? Please do. Um, I think it's correct to, I think you can, it's fine to end it where it does with like mm-hmm. heading into the battle. But I think putting that flashback in the middle was so distracting to me. And so mm-hmm. I, I would have rewritten that to, I would have opened the episode with that flashback. Because mm-hmm. that's like, I don't know, an exciting opener, like planetary evacuation ships, people gathering on. You see Yang Wenli, um, I don't know, help this 14 year old girl out or whatever. Yeah. Cut the, choking on coffee scene um and then when I, and then i wouldn't have introduced her reintroduced her later with you know go 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 girl like i wouldn't have done yeah. that i would have just had her be in the background of scenes and maybe yang wenli being like you're familiar where do i know you and then by the end you realize she was the girl in the flashback or mm. something like then you explain her motivation for joining the fleet without saying all of that stuff I think that's pretty good. I also think equally good would be like if she got appointed to be Yang's secretary in the same way that she was this time, it would also be very touching. If, like, you, I, I agree that you should open the episode with this flashback. If we were to remix the episode, yeah, you'd open with that flashback. And then when Yang meets her, the like moment of recognition, because his memory is terrible, clearly, like this part of his character. If he's like this moment of recognition where he's like, do I like, do I know you? Whatever. And then, you know, the, we, we kind of, yeah, it doesn't have this awkward beginning where he's just like, oh, I've been set up by Castle to, he's given me a girl as a secretary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, I think I disagree with both things. One, mm-hmm. because I think that, I mean, I don't, I don't think this, the whole introduction is handled particularly well. Um, but one, I don't think, Yang Wenli should, I mean, he, in the show, he doesn't remember her. Um, mm-hmm. She says, you probably don't remember me. And he just sits there like, oh, that's embarrassing, isn't it? It's true that I don't like coffee. So the story must be true, but I don't really remember. Which is, to be fair, reasonable because he was in charge of the evacuation of 3 million people. Um, mm, true. During that's probably planet. I mean, things like, on my mind, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he had many other things on his mind. So, And secondly, because I don't think this... That would set up this episode as Federica's episode, and I don't think it is. I think this is Shenkop's episode. Mm-hmm. 
you're also that, he's that. he's the character who gets explored the most and is is really introduced and Federica doesn't she's in it and she gets introduced but like I think it would it would yeah it would frame this whole situation around her rather than Yang Wenli and, and Shen Kop. Um, yeah, I'm convinced. I think you're completely right. Like, so if you, you could have that, that story later on, maybe, but she has to be introduced yeah. now because she has to be there on this mm. uh, journey. Um, probably they still could have done a better job, but yeah. I'm going to, because this is my idea, I'm going to double down on my, <laughs> should have been her episode. And uh, uh, I think, uh, I think you're, you are right about it being about Walter. Um, and then the, the way I would do that is maybe tell a, the bulk of the episode from her point of view, like mm. um, like it follows her on onto the station. Maybe she's the one who gets like bullied by the older officers, and that's how you introduce Walter. If you still want to do that, save the cat, but the cat mm-hmm. is now from is Frederica. And then um, I don't know. That's the only thought I have about that. Uh, you can show the meeting and the strategy meeting from her point of view, and I think that still works as as mm-hmm. scene basically works the same way. Um, the other thing I would do, and I think I would do this because of how episode seven ends, is that when uh, Yang Wenli is late for his the, the ceremony in the beginning, mm-hmm. I want to see him writing or having written or just finished writing his resignation letter that gets cut up at the end. Because I, yeah. when, he, when he just shows up, he has that letter and he passes it to him. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't introduce that earlier on, so I'm like, is that a letter from the Admiral that was given to him? Or In hindsight, that seems like a complete no-brainer. I don't even know. I don't think anything is lost by having that scene. Even if he overslept and then Julian was like, Julian woke him up in the same way and was like, you're going to be late and you haven't even finished writing the letter. And then, you know, you have Yang like panicking and like scribbling, you know, the last bits down on his, his resignation letter. Then we get that like setup and payoff. Whereas, yeah, it's just payoff with no setup. Apart from his, he says he's going to resign, but he doesn't. Like we don't see the letter, so it's not attached to any symbol. Yeah. Maybe you, he you should have, have been... it at the. Be- Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say maybe he should have been doing his letter writing scene um, at the moment when Frederica gets introduced. Uh, that that might have made made for an interesting opening dialogue between them. Like this person who's obsessed with him and like mm. thinks he's this great military hero and like really wants yeah. to work with him and he's there like writing this letter about how he wants to leave um, god that's good too can you imagine if her, she turns up she he doesn't even look up from his desk like he's just writing and she just she's speaks. like and she, and she says what are you writing and he's like mm, you know my resignation anyway uh who are you and she's like <laughs> i'm your i'm your new i'm your new secretary <laughs> <laughs> and then it plays the Seinfeld uh, baseline. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're pretty good at this. We could have written this. Well, yeah. they, they should have got us in for the remake at the, the very least. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. I think they should have because we could have <laughs> really like, we would have saved them a couple of minutes. They could have put in the actual ending scene because ah, yeah, we would have yeah, cut yeah. the coffee choking. So That's true, yeah. We would have saved them time. Yep. Um, episode seven. Um, yes. What is the title of that? Uh, oh yeah, Tom, you're going to have to give us an intro. Oh, do I have to do this one as well? I did both last time. Did you? Because I'm pretty sure I did one of them last time. Because I had the oh. one with had all of the German names in it. I can do sure. this one. Yeah. Isalon okay. taken. Okay. Is it Isalon or is it Isalon? I think it's Isalon. 
if it was in German. Isserlon? Isserlon? Isserlon taken. May 14th, 796 SC-487 IC. A fake Imperial spaceship ducks into Isserlon. Walter, commander of the Rosenritter, <laughs> pretends to have important information and takes control of the center of command. The, uh, the Isserlon fleet comes back only to be destroyed by the fortress's main weapon, Thor's hammer. The fall of uh, Isserlon dramatically changes the strategic balance. Yang hopes it will lead to a peace treaty. Back in Heinesen, he mm. wants to resign, but is promoted to vice admiral instead. Tough break. <laughs> Tough break. Um, different animation studio for this episode really threw me for a loop. Um, it does look different. I don't know whether it was a different studio, or whether it was a different like team, or whether uh, it was a different, you know. Whether they hired um, a couple of new people, or yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it looks different. And I think the show is quite inconsistent in its presentation. When I think about Galactic Heroes, I think about those like distant shots where people are far away and you have that almost like watercolory kind of scrappy effect on all the characters. Mm. Close ups on people's faces, definitely less consistent there throughout the show. Um, it sort of reminds me of um, when I would watch Naruto mm-hmm. as, a, as a young 27 year old kid um and when you know when there was a big epic fight that they were leading up to mm. they would hand it over to another animation studio to take care of oh, it yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. couldn't cut it for those scenes mm-hmm. um so i thought we were going to get like a great like fight in this or something because that's what anime had trained me to think was going to happen i mean we did didn't we yeah <laughs> kind of did yeah there was there was certainly there w- there was certainly a fight, um, mm-hmm. which surprised me how violent it was. But um, yeah, I actually have some notes on that. But let's yeah yeah yeah. What, what happens first? I've I've got written down strange fleet movement rendering the fortress powerless. <laughs> so Yang basically makes the fleet just like move backwards and forwards. Yeah, like it's just like a pointless like training exercise, like a drill, you know. Yeah, um, one of his commanders is like, what, why are we doing this? It's like a good feat of, uh, I can't remember he yeah, says. It's good practice. Like, good practice, good practice or something. Yeah, yeah very yeah. impressive. It's like, but why? It's like, no reason. But there is a reason. He just doesn't tell his his admiral for some reason. He doesn't yeah. explain why he's doing it. And it's just to be distracting. Um, yeah. So that everyone's like, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? Um, wow. Because it's, it's part of the plan, right? The because... Yeah, when they when they've it, it he they use it as a way to get through the uh the bit where they're asked for their IDs to try and get in with the commander of the whole uh, thing. The the team in the room report back that they're doing this weird movement in the sky and they're like, What's going on? And one of the Rosenritters says, Oh my god, it's already started. Like yeah. like it's some part of some master plan or something, and they have to desperately get in the room to deliver the information that only they're commander in the um life support machine pod thing uh knows knows what it's about when that scene happened i can't tell you how much i rolled my eyes into the back of my head <laughs> because the idea that these admirals would be like oh my god what are these freaky movements they're doing they're gonna take down the fortress with their freaky movements and only this one mustachioed man in the life support part <laughs> knows the yeah. reason and how to stop it. I couldn't 
I re- I really thought that it really felt lazy to me as like mm-hmm. um their method of like getting like it's fine to do the Trojan horse thing mm-hmm. and like to figure out a distraction that would like uh allow them to get past the ID check and stuff also fine. Mm-hmm. But the idea that it's like just the ships going like ooh and <laughs> the admiral freaking out over it, well, I really thought it's, it's not convincing um, to me. Yeah, I agree. If we're going back with our rewrite hats, um, I would have had the Rosenritter immediately have their cover blown. Like when they arrived, like the first like guards that they find who are like. Um, we need to see your IDs before we can take you to the bridge. And then they're like, oh, but we don't have them. We lost them. We dropped them. They're in space now. And uh, <laughs> and then the the guards are like becoming suspicious. Then you just have the Rosenritter like break cover and just chop these guys apart. And now they have to fight their way to the bridge rather than, so it's like while Yang's fleets are doing the weird movements or whatever, at the same time, this general of Isalon is having to protect the bridge from this crack unit of uh, of soldiers. So it feels much more believable and much more stressful, I think, if you do that way around. I agree. And they basically do eventually do that, right? Like they, when Yeah, they, it eventually ends up that way. It gets Why not triggered just change the, the order yeah. around? Yeah. I mean, my biggest issue was the freaky movements, like the idea that sure. that put them off. Uh, I would have yeah. had them do some, uh, some other kind of distraction. I don't know what. Mm-hmm. Just start spraying Zephyr particles everywhere. That would surely work, right? Like he used that in a previous plan to take out the Artem. Oh no, that was a different that was yeah, the Empire plan. But we've still seen it in the show. We've seen it in the and show. And it was used so in this like, episode as well. So Yang could just start spraying Zephyr particles everywhere and they're like, what kind of plan is this? Like they're just gonna explode in space or whatever. Like there's gotta be something going on. Yeah, I would have I would have wanted to see some like lateral thinking. Like if you emptied out one of their ships and just kamikaze mm. it at the fortress mm, or something mm, you know mm. like at least that would surprise them you know and right yeah 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 that makes more sense to me than weird movements yeah 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 i agree that would have been smarter create like a proper dilemma for the general and then just watch him collapse under his own incompetence um i did like the um when 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 stuff is happening uh they so they get to the bridge uh, mm-hmm. And they take everyone hostage, mm-hmm. and then one of the one of the guards who's like, "Commander would rather die than be a hostage." <laughs> the guard's like, "No, we didn't. No. <laughs> no, 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 no." <laughs> and he's We'd like, huh? "Definitely rather." Yeah, yeah. So funny. Um, that guy yeah. breaks free for a moment and and is able to put the um the the fortress on lockdown. Yeah. And you see one of the streets, like Main Street or that, you know, it looked like, a, mm-hmm. I don't know, lots of bars, neon signs and stuff. Yep. If, if, you, if you said that was a screen cap from like Batman, the animated series, and that was Gotham, <laughs> I, I might believe you. <laughs> yeah. um, and they're just drunks coming out of the bar yeah. and just being like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. Room. Yeah. You get multiple cutaways to like normal people on the fortress yeah. Yeah. who are just completely unaware of what's happening. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of cute. I think it gives like the sense of scale of the fortress and like. Oh yeah, I liked uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Did you like, like the bit the fact- where he falls on the rope and then meets the woman just walk along? Yeah. Highlight. <laughs> I love that. Highlight. The best bit hi. of the episode. She says yeah. hi in English. Yeah. yeah. Hi. <laughs> 
That was great. I thought yeah. that dude died before it cut to black. I, I assumed Same. he was dead. Yeah. Um, it felt like a, a bit like one of those because the editing was a bit weird there. It, it felt like a bit like break edit, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Uh, and it like felt a bit like when you watch a Disney film or like a DreamWorks film where someone was originally supposed to die in the original cut, and then they have like a thing where they're like, "Oh, but actually they're fine." Like they just have like a little cutaway shot where like the person's still okay. Like, uh, you know what they did that yeah. in recently was that last mm-hmm. uh, Spider-Man movie. Oh. Did you guys watch like that? the animated one? No. No, no, the one with the, all of the live action ones. Oh, no, I didn't watch. So at the end, uh, Tobey Maguire uh, like stops the new Spider-Man from killing uh, the Green Goblin. For his efforts, the Green Goblin uh, stabs him in the back, literally. Okay. And then he falls down and you think, oh man, he's going to die. And then it, the next time it cuts to Tobey, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man is like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. I've been stabbed before. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, way to remove the drama. That's I, I definitely think they meant to kill him. Yeah. And test yeah, audiences yeah. were like, no, we love Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I have one, one, um, it's, it's slightly related, but it is backtracking to the previous episode. One thing I forgot to mention um talking about your comment again around like the pacing is a bit weird or the structure of the episodes mm. not mm. always great <laughs> there's a cut in that episode that cuts to low and graham and um Kirky oh, eyes yeah. on their balcony and they just have a brief chat about yang wenley and they're like is he the real deal is he a planet is he like a new shining star in the sky or <laughs> yeah. is he just like a planet that won't affect kind of thing and they're like hmm, time will tell and then it just cuts back again and well, we I never see them again. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think it really needed to be in there, but um, I don't know why that was put in. Anyway, it just reminded me of it, like a strange cut in the middle of an episode. It felt a bit like a scene that was cut from a previous episode, and for some reason, it was just like jammed into this one. Yeah. Oh, this episode's running a little too short, so let's just squeeze in the low <laughs> yeah. ground bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought that was a fine scene. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. It definitely should not have been in these. It's a bit out episodes. of place. Yeah, it, it could have really been serve any purpose. Yeah. Could have been anywhere. Like in any episode, they could have put that in. Really. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, also, I think jump... you, you could have even opened. I know we already talked. You should open with the flashback, but you could have even opened with that conversation to like frame the episode, and yep. then you could have ended with a conversation between the two of them uh, if you want. Yeah, like something like that. Do you think they put it here because by the end of episode seven? Yang Wenli's promoted once again. And so mm. you would have had to have updated, I guess you could have updated the conversation to say, wow, he got promoted twice in like. I guess he really is a star and not a planet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would have been a good opening. Put that scene in first where they have this little chat about whether he's, yeah, like this, this great military genius or, or what's mm. going to happen. And then it cuts to the actual opening scene where he's just in bed and refuses to get up in the morning. I think that would be quite a so good, good yeah. juxtaposition. Yeah. Tom, you got to write this show. <laughs> that would have been so good. You imagine that, like, having this conversation about whether or not he's going to destroy the empire, and then, like, we just cut to the alarm that says 10.30. Oh, and his 14-year-old... It's like Julia Thoreau, like, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, episode, episode seven. We were in the middle of... Um, it's full of Star Wars references. Let's just brush over that. Um, You're talking about the, the hook they... shot where they swing over? 
And yeah, that's literally, literally what Luke and Leia do. It's literally Star Wars. And like even the matte painting background of the animation looks like the matte painting background of the Death Star. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, very, um, it's a homage. You know, <laughs> I don't know if it needed to be in there, but it's in there. <laughs> do they do that throughout the series? Are there more? Stars Not really. Like, I don't think there's a lot of Star Wars in the show. Um, there probably is, but I can't think of anything as explicit as this. Yeah. Yeah, it's like this episode. Um, maybe there is, but I, I can't recall it off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, so they do their little hookshot swingover thing. Hmm. So it, it looks like a temple. Like a, It has statues of like yeah. women. I, I don't know what that was about. So I had to look this up because those pillars... I didn't know what they were called, but they're like in a lot of like arch- Greek architecture, right? Yeah. Um, maybe you already know what they're called, but apparently, do you know? I can never remember which ones are which one. Oh. Apparently it's called a caryatid, which oh, is I definitely a, didn't a, know. Yeah, a pillar in the shape of a female figure because I recognize them because there's some in there's some opposite Euston station in London that famously were built too tall for the building and so they had to cut the wastes out of the, <laughs> the the women so like these women they look really squished uh it's worth <laughs> worth worth a look if you're ever in i think i know these ones know. yeah i did always yeah. think they looked a bit strange yeah it's because they had they had to have the middle section like chopped out to fit the building um mm. uh i think it's a bit of a, like we talked a bit about like the imperial architecture before and the fact that it's like even in their military buildings or whatever they're extremely opulent and grand and referring to some sort of history or or this sort of thing um it felt like a bit of a waste to do a star wars reference when you have this very unique setting like this very unique like visual aesthetic that you've decided on for your um death star equivalent with these like greek columns and statues and all this kind of stuff yeah um, yeah, do you think they was... did the whole the whole Star Wars thing, and then they were like, "Oh, oh, wait, we should have." This isn't really the style. Uh, yeah, but throw in a few pillars, and it'll be fine. I love that the central computing unit is basically a temple. Like it's like the Parthenon, you know, like because that's what they're breaking into is like the central computer. They don't really make that clear for some reason, but um, and yeah, it's like these Greek columns and stuff. It's so cool. Um, it's a uh, it's. Yeah, it's kind of extra, um, and I, I like it. What do they? Uh, what do the Rose Ritter do in this holy temple of central computing? Well, they release a bunch of Zephyr particles, which, when a guy shoots a laser, explode, killing everyone instantly. Um, and then they run in with axes, and then they have a brief exchange, and then they chop these guys up like real bad. Um, it felt like a God of War scene. Yeah. Because I think in the previous episode, it said Yang Wenli will take in the preview, because I've been watching the previews, because you obviously you've not been watching them, but I'm pretty sure in the preview it said Yang Wenli will take Isalon without firing a single shot. <laughs> and so in this scene, the Rosenritter have to like MacGyver their way through the situation yeah. without firing a gun. <laughs> so that that statement remains true. 
I mean, that's such a te- technicality that they're <laughs> winning on. Like, yeah, yeah. Also, like a lot of people die um, in the next bit that we'll we'll get to in a moment. I guess um, that's true. Yang Wenli did famously fire at least one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess they're taking Thor's hammer literally and not considering <laughs> it a gun. <laughs> um so okay when the rosenritters chop these guys up they explode like they turn into like blood bags and because uh, i had 10 minutes i finished the episodes 10 minutes before we started recording uh i had 10 minutes before we started when i was making tea and i just decided to look up why does that happen in anime why in some animes do people like explode into blood balloons and people have different theories and it's surprisingly complicated. So like the main theory is because in a traditional Kabuki theater, when someone gets their arm chopped off or gets stabbed, they like throw a weighted red silk cloth from the actor. So you have like loads of like this jet of like red that comes out of the person. Uh, and it's like really exaggerated. And then Akira Kurosawa, when he was filming his stuff, he wanted to recreate that effect. So he had these like pumps on set that would like pump like blood from, you know, like fake blood from actors when they got cut. And one of the pumps uh, malfunctioned on the day of filming and it sprayed blood so hard that it knocked the, uh, the, the actor over. But he was like, I love it. We're going to use that take. So it's in the movie. And like this scene is like now so influential that like so like loads of animes use this like really exaggerated like jet of blood um thing where people die um anyway there you go that's yeah that was that makes a lot of sense the first time i remember ever seeing something like that i think i guess it makes sense was in uh, kill bill yeah and i'm sure they do that at some point in kill bill and that's probably yeah. a direct reference to these japanese films yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, that that's probably where I would have come across that first as well. Um, and Kill Bill even has a little sort of anime section in it, doesn't it, at one point? Maybe it's in the second yes, one. Yes, it does, but, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I think he's very influenced by Japanese, uh, Japanese works. So at this point, the, the Rose Ritter take, take the central command unit mm-hmm. without firing a single shot. Uh Incredible. It's truly bloodless. Um, yeah, blood, a bloodless takeover. Um, and then they uh, they show the... I, I, was, I was a bit unclear on this. They show the docking area for Yang Wenli's ship. Right, yeah. Because Isalon Fortress is like made of liquid, right, on the outside. Yeah. They never really explain the science behind it, but like there's like this layer of liquid metal, but you dock by like flying through, right? Like you fly through the, the liquid. So you see this when like Frederica and others like descend at the end of the episode into Isalon. But I guess like there's only one route in, right? Like the rest of it is like um, whatever's underneath the liquid will just like you just crash into. So they have these lights to like guide you. That's kind of how I interpreted it. Like oh, these lights I thought to it was guide like, you into the hangars. I thought it was like um, the idea was that that liquid surface would destroy the ship somehow if you went through it at mm-hmm. any point besides the d- wherever they decide to allow you through and so they create a docking zone also possible right. oh and it's at that point they get control of um their 
you know, reverse orbital laser while the yes. entire attack crew are off off base, off of um off the fortress. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um Yes. And so before that, the attack oh so kind of concurrently with that, I guess, the attack fleet are he wants to like attack Isalon or whatever, or he doesn't want to attack Isalon, he's too afraid. And then Oberstein is like it's obviously a trap. If if they if they had fully taken over the fortress, we'd already know. Like they wouldn't be saying stuff like this, obviously. So you should attack now. And the guy's like, nah, I don't know. And then five minutes later, they have taken over the fortress and he sees them going inside. And he's like, now's the time to attack. And Oberstein's like, no, no, don't do it now. And he's like, but before you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he says, uh, up, yeah. the situation changed. He gets so angry at him. And then he says, just get out of here. And Oberstein doesn't even say anything. He just uses that order as an excuse to abandon the ship by himself. He like takes it I, completely literally. So I, yeah. I think because he can then go away and be like, I didn't disobey an order. He told me to get out of here. So I got out of there. Um, yeah. That's what I thought in that moment. He seems very that's also how so, I so calculated. It. Yeah. But I've, now I've seen the show. This is the second time through. So so seeing that, I mean, I, I wouldn't have remembered the first time, but seeing it this time around, yeah. I thought this seems, yeah, intentional that he would not even, like he was almost waiting for that that line as an excuse to be able to. Um, yeah, to, to intentionally misinterpret the order. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's the kind of guy he is. Mm. He seems like a smart fellow. He's also got responsibilities at home, as we'll discover in future episodes. I don't want to. <laughs> um, is it at that point that they uh, they uh, they deploy uh, the hammer? Yes. Yeah, he escapes yeah. just before this happens, I think. They deploy the hammer, yeah. And they, and they take Killing... out a thousand ships or something stupid. Yeah. 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 Killing, like, what, like a million people? I think we've already established that these ships have got, like, a thousand people on them each or something. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's when Walter is like, damn, this ain't war. This is genocide or something. Yeah. A yeah. massacre yeah. or something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And uh, Yang Wenli is like, okay, that's crazy. Just tell him <laughs> to surrender again because yeah. I don't want to do that again. Yeah. yeah. And the, uh, the he attack general or admiral or whatever really doesn't want to do that i I wrote down what he says after he gets he does what he does you know yeah he he attack (laughs) so when he gets to deliver that message about um saying hey surrender or run away at least Mm -hmm. and we won't chase you um he's like nah not doing that and he speaks to his crew and says at this point i doubt any of you want to live anyway yeah, it's just yeah. a crazy thing to say to his crew, yeah. <laughs> and in some ways, his direct opposition to his uh, his his mirror, his co admiral, the one who does the defense, yeah, sure. who's like, I um, definitely yeah. don't want to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, like, he has he has the heart of a warrior. I think is what he says. Like, yeah, or he's like, you don't understand the heart of a warrior. And then he just gets obliterated by the Thor. The Thor hammer. 
Yeah, because Yang Wenli decides to um, concentrate fire on his the flagship. Mm. And yeah. yet anyway, because Thor's hammer is so crazy powerful, it still takes out yeah. multiple ships. Like anyway. a yeah, 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 yeah. So it really was just like a bloodless, you know, takeover. Yeah. Not a single shot mm. fired except the two Thor's hammers scenario. and multiple axe yeah. Th- attacks. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. It would be cool, not cool, it would be interesting to get an estimate of like the body count per episode because I'm pretty sure this <laughs> one is probably at least the second highest. Maybe the Battle of Tiamat, whatever it was in episode one and two. Astarte? Astarte would have more. Do you want to compare uh, um, Yang Wenli and uh, Lo and Graham's uh, KD ratio? K- KD ratio. <laughs> at the end of the season. <laughs> See who does better. <laughs> That's the that's the metric that I'm going to judge the complex philosophical questions that the show is posing. We've got these complicated questions about authoritarianism and democracy, but at the end of the day, who's got the better KD? You know, right? One v one, me bro. <laughs> Looking forward to that episode. Um, I think in a future episode they may refer to how many people were killed in this takeover. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if the number gets dropped at some point. So we wouldn't even have to do an estimate, but um, I, I don't really remember. That's... So, I mean, I feel like this firing of the Thor's hammer, basically these two episodes are to get Yang in the control room and make him say fire. Like there, there is really no other point to, to this whole storyline. Obviously the events that take place afterwards will have ramifications. But and how sneaky he is. Yeah. But the main point of these episodes is for that moment, base as fire, because it is like, I think, a moment where Yang becomes morally compromised. And now um, everything afterwards is going to be judged on that, uh, by that moment, like and be compared to that moment um, going forwards. So, yes, I think it's, it's, it's uh, really him saying fire the second time, right? Because the first yeah, time yeah. he almost doesn't really understand how much power is there yeah, yeah, destruction yeah. but he understands by the second time yes yeah yeah and it's very easy with the with the show to like be all oh, my precious boy yang my he's, a, he's basically a cat in human form but like you know he gives that order to fire the second time uh and yeah i think um yeah does it's the show not, ever get into um the, the the fact that he made this order to you know kill however many people lots and lots of people mm while he was drinking on the job mm, interesting interesting yeah i don't think so <laughs> maybe maybe that's maybe he's sober by that point maybe um yeah the way the time moves in the on the spaceships is difficult to know yeah. um but it's not the last time we will see a beloved character make a morally dubious choice yeah. um speaking of the thor's hammer though that ship is fucking cool and <laughs> When another we went space to laser. Another space laser. We can finally talk about it. Isalon Cafe, Isalon Fortress Cafe in Tokyo. They have a meal that you can order, um, which is called the Thor's Hammer. And it is basically a creme brulee. And three of the waiters or two of the waiters will come over with a blowtorch with a scale model of Isalon Fortress <laughs> attached to the end of the blowtorch. I'm not making this up. This is all true. With a scale model. It scale model of it's so I've been wanting to talk about it since episode one 
and then they'll go over and they'll put the thing over your creme brulee. I think it's a creme brulee. It's like some sort of, and then, and then one of them will be like firing and then they'll light the thing. <laughs> uh, fucking rules. It's cool. How many times in a, let's say you're there for two hours. How many times yeah. does that dish get ordered? I think it happened three times while we were there and we were probably there for about two hours. So, yeah. And obviously so people funny. like clap, people clap and stuff, you know, like cause it's a whole <laughs> performance. So it's just like, yeah, um, it's very, it's very sweet. What does that say about just our society normalizing war crimes, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. To the Joker, that's a normal creme brulee. <laughs> uh, so that's mission success, right? And then they go home. Are, they get welcomed like the heroes that they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the narrator announces Yang's new nicknames uh, that he's 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 gotten: uh, Miracle Yang and Yang the Magician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to tally. I want to see how many nicknames he gets throughout throughout the series. Mm-hmm. If we Is that can see three already now, the hero of El Fasil. Oh yeah, that's another magician. one. Yeah. He's collecting titles like he's like Alexander the Great or something. Yeah, and then he has a like debriefing mission where he announces his retirement to the to his boss, mm-hmm. which doesn't go very well. No, no, no. There's no escaping the military machine once you're in. You know, um, I did not like this scene, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, Yang delivers his uh, his uh, reti- uh, you know his letter of resignation that we didn't know existed mm-hmm. before that scene, and mm-hmm. um. The admiral is like, "Hey, man, you, you you can't do this. We need your military mind. Uh, and besides, what are people going to say about your boys, who are just like <laughs> a bunch of worthless rejects, without you?" And Yang Wenli is like shook by this. You can see on his facial yeah. expression, he's, he's shook. Yeah. Except, they just did what six fleets prior had never been able to do, <laughs> and they just did it, you know, without a, firing a single shot. <laughs> and yet they're a bunch Famous. of worthless rejects without him and like the logic either it's written it feels to me that you can only read that scene one of two ways Yang Wenli is an idiot who can be emotionally manipulated really easily or it's lazy writing because they just need <laughs> Yang Wenli to stay I, I, I can't I can't so, um, I, I agree I, with you that it kind of comes out of left field and it's kind of weird the interpretation that I had was that Trun Height is going to dismantle the fleet and he's going to like lay all these people off and like so like without the legend of yang protecting those people they'll be like pensioned off on some you know they're not going to receive the retirement that yang feels that they deserve um but i do agree with you it's a stretch i didn't i didn't get that at all i thought they were just going to be like a man everyone's going to make fun of those guys but what the embarrassment of the of the of the military then, then he leaves that the office, and he's met with the, the three soldiers who have been commenting on Yang Wenli since the beginning of episode six, yeah. and being like, "Who's this guy?" And then he makes yeah. good decisions, and he's like, "Wow, who's this guy?" And then by yeah. the end of this episode seven, they're like, "We don't want to work for anyone but this guy." Um, mm-hmm. And I thought maybe that was the point that would actually convince him to stay. Like he had still, you know, stood strong in his resignation, and now for these guys, but then <laughs> it's just, just like. Yeah, it doesn't even I, speak to them. I agree with you. All you need to do for this scene to work 
is to switch around the order. So like when he's going into the office to give his resignation, they're like, <laughs> Yang, please don't do this. Like we need yeah. you. And then Yang's like, oh, you see him like pe the pained look on his face. He's like, you know, oh, I want to resign, but I also feel like responsible for these, 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 uh, these nerds who have been supporting me. Um, and then he goes in and when he gives the resignation over to his boss, like he's kind of like, like halfway, you know, like, you know, uh, and then the boss is like, are you really sure? Are you actually sure? Cause you don't look sure to me. And then Yang walks out with the letter and then you finish it in the same way him tearing it up in front of or Shenkop tearing it up. I, I really love how Walter teared that letter up. Like he, he put it above <laughs> his head, like he was Prince at a, at a show or something, <laughs> started ripping it up. So it would like be like, I don't know, like blossoms blown through the air behind him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Good, good, good shot to end it on. Yeah. Um, I fucking love Walter von Schenkop. I'm looking forward to you, to us together experiencing his story um, because it goes to some nuts places. Yeah, no, he's, he's a good character. It does feel like the, the arc of the two is also Walter now fully trusts, believes in this guy. He's like, yeah. Yeah. All faith in him. Yep. He's Yang's enforcer. Or his Lancer. Is that what people use? The TV tropes lingua? Lancer. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. That's like if you have a main character in a group, then the Lancer is like the one who does most of the dirty work, but who is like completely loyal to the main character. I only know Lancer from uh, playing Final Fantasy XIV, the award-winning MMORPG. Mm with a free trial at level 60 and the expansion. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> that's one of the classes in the game. Interesting. Sorry, I'll cut that out. <laughs> no, please. Please leave it in. Maybe they'll pay us. Uh, they definitely won't. They make so much money already from that game. Um, I, I think I generally liked these two episodes despite mm -hmm. my, like, you know, criticisms and wanting to rewrite them. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. yep. I certainly like them more than the, the previous one where they did the, you know, et tu brute killing that guy. Yes. Um, yeah. yep. But not as much as the crazy flashback episodes with the two yeah. low and ground. Character-driven, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. I think that that ranking holds true for me as well. My favorite episode so far is the flashback, like the Kirky Ice low and ground flashback episode. So good from start to finish. But I do think also, as you say, like these episodes are super rough at times. I love the show and I think it is probably my favorite TV show ever. Um, but it has this quality that like a lot of the stuff I like has, which is, and I think also Tom feels similarly, that like it is so ambitious and falls so short of that ambition so much of the time um and uh it's but sometimes really and, really achieves yeah. it i think yeah um, it's this big variation between high and low notes that's way better than just like a pretty competent solid show um yeah can i tell you what it reminds me of mm -hmm. um it reminds me of my experience of watching twin peaks in the last couple yes. of years because yeah, yeah. twin peaks incredibly ambitious influential show yeah. that um big picture is like incredible like yeah th the ideas and themes and stuff but there's like mm -hmm. moment to moment stuff where it is incredibly <laughs> cringy to watch yeah and yeah. is doing its soap opera thing that yeah. is i'm sure it worked for me in 1989 or when when the show came mm -hmm. i guess the same time as this show 
Um, yeah. But in 2018 or whenever, whenever I watched it, just I was truly like, I don't want to watch this moment right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are shows I that have been inspired pieces, since yeah. it that mm-hmm. um, fulfill that those ambitions of being about big things at, on the overall scale, but yeah. moment to moment work incredibly well when it's like there's like great filmmaking happening. Sure. I think it does yeah. that better in the flashback episode as well than mm-hmm. these these last two. Yep. Uh, I think Twin Peaks is a good comparison. I think. Um, you wouldn't think so yeah. on his face, though, right? Because they're about such no, yeah, different yeah. things. Yeah. But I, I think that comparison makes sense. I think from a script writing, script writing and storytelling perspective, I think, like, yeah, not thematically, but like, yeah, in terms of its ambition, and yeah, yeah it's a good comparison. Um, the other comparison that comes like, to mind is uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, Yes, I mean that is also a show set in space. But I agree with you that Battlestar Galactica has these incredibly huge ambitions and struggles so much of the time to actually get that ambition off the ground. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I also meant that in regards to like when we were discussing the uh, the uh, the Greek the Greek central computing temple and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's sort of like allusions to history and like old religion yeah, things yeah, yeah. that match the feel of what Bowser wanted to do with its allusions to right yeah, yeah, faith yeah. and history and stuff like that anyway uh, good stuff seven out of ten yeah <laughs> we haven't done rankings for each episode so far maybe we should retrospectively do an out of ten ranking from kamel for each episode uh can i do out of five stars yeah out of five stars like a letterbox yeah you can do half stars yeah so, so basically out of ten, out of 10. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, episode. Uh, it's difficult to split episode one and two in my head. You mm-hmm. can just put them as one. Yeah. Well, maybe you do, do episode, episode by, per, podcast episode by uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, arc by arc, run by run. Yep. One and two. Uh, seven. <laughs> um, three. Three was the flashback, right? Or was four the flashback? I think. Uh, I think it was. F- Four. four is the flashback yeah and then three and five like what, what was three again that was the um three was his promotion yeah and it was jessica the meeting edwards. with the militia right yeah jessica yeah, edwards yeah, yeah. and stuff yeah. Yeah. i like that more maybe so seven and a half flashback eight mm-hmm. uh at two brute six mm. um this is a lot out of five two. stars isn't it Oh yeah, sorry. Out of ten, yeah. <laughs> Just scale that down for the out of five. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I, yeah. This, I, this hasn't hit its stride for me quite yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we've a long way to go. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of extra stars to her. When I was writing, is the show just going to stay as kind of a planet in the sky that doesn't really change your view on <laughs> the rest of your life, or will it become a shining five star? TV show that uh, means you can never enjoy another TV show ever again. I definitely don't think that will happen. Nope. For now, nobody knows. <laughs> or whatever it is that the guy says at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> I thought that was a weird ending. For now, nobody knows. You're like, this this guy who does the, uh, the, the what is he called? The narrator at the end. 
we've talked about it before and we came to the conclusion earlier on that he is like a kind of a historian he's looking back and he's telling mm-hmm. this story but then at the end of this one he says nobody knows so far what's going to happen he's next just, he's just being a good teacher he's just right? being a like good if storyteller you're, if, if you're being if you're finishing a lesson uh what happened next uh in the in alexander the great's conquest just after he announced that he had no more worlds to conquer who knows yeah but, I think he should have he should have done what I would have done and said nobody knows but I I, I know <laughs> but no nobody knows I, I'm just doing a but I do know I'm going to tell you next week here's the preview for the next episode <laughs> it says, yeah. uh, a I would cut the narrator that would be my other big change mm-hmm. I want him gone he doesn't need this job um, uh, I just think you know, figure out how to write that information into the scenes. B, when Alexander the Great said that thing about no more worlds to conquer, it's kind of mm. fucked up because he was in India and he couldn't get past the Hindu Kush mountains famously. Mm. And so he went back yeah. home. So he couldn't get past some fucking mountains. And he's like, I got no more. <laughs> oh, can't I can't see anything past there. So I better head back home. That's, yeah. that's just, he didn't want to like, fuck up his 21 and a record. Like he didn't want any losses yeah, yeah. on the board, you know? Yeah. I think there's that, yeah, we're going to date it if I mention it, but there's that meme that's just like Alexander the Great's empire and people, it's like, uh, what the fuck was that guy talking about? There were loads more worlds to conquer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's basically my point, yeah. What a guy. Thanks for listening to this episode of In the Skies of Love. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of Legend of the Galactic Heroes. If you have any comments or questions, you can reach out to us at intheskiesoflove at gmail.com. You can find Kamel on Twitter at HiKamel. Tune in next time for our review of episodes 8 to something. Not sure when the arc will stop. Until then, we'll see you in the skies of love. Mata itch page. One that happens to me a lot is, um, you know, the Missy Elliott song. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, what is it called? Uh, like, uh, <laughs> what, what is it called? Can you work it? Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. Missy <laughs> Elliott. Is it? Uh, oh, work it. Work it is the Just name work of the song. It. But there's a lyric um, where she says, "Is it worth it?" Mm. And people say that surprisingly a lot. Yeah. And my brain every time just starts playing the song from that from that lyric <laughs> and uh if you ever decide to start singing it out loud after they say it mm-hmm. prepare for a lot of strange looks because they won't know what you're doing yeah yeah so let's just add that one to the list of banned podcast phrases then it's really <laughs> quite extensive now